Come on. That's 847 salvations, lives changed for eternity. Yeah, that's good. Amen. Thank you for being here. We're excited you're here. And we had 511 of those salvations right here at Northwest Campus. Yes, so that's praise a big God. Deal. That's Let's a big praise deal. God for that. Here's a number I've never shared publicly before that in the 16 year history of our church, we have seen 11,488 public salvations. Is that incredible? Yeah, Lives yeah, changed, woo! marriages restored. We're believing God for even more. We're excited for what He's doing, what He's done. We're fully, just so, hearts full of gratitude. Hey guys, last year we made a big goal to Kingdom Builders. We gave the year before like 750,000. We thought, man, what if we go for a million dollars as a network? And guess what? Mission accomplished. We gave $1,058,000 to Kingdom Builders. All the projects funded. All of them are funded. Thank you for your generosity. All the projects were funded from last year. Church were planted, missionaries supported. So thank you so much for your giving. Yeah, if it wasn't for your prayers, your service, your generosity, that reality wouldn't happen. We wouldn't be seeing all those souls saved and projects funded. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Look over to someone and say, let's go. Come on, you can do better, let's go. Stephanie, where are you going? Stephanie, where are you going? Is our baby, grandbaby here yet? No. No. Guys, this is her grandbaby Jane's due date is this weekend. Contractions are under a minute right now. If I get that call, I'm gone. I'm gone. (laughs) We're so glad you're here for our 16th year anniversary and vision Sunday. We have been pregnant with vision, I promise. We've been praying for 21 days. This is the moment we're going to share what God spoke to us and for us to execute the vision this year. So I'm so glad you're here. Last fall, our executive team went out fishing. We went fishing at uh, Antero Reservoir in Colorado. Now, I have trout fish with, for fly fishing and lures for many years in a lot of rivers and lakes in Colorado, but I've never caught a trout bigger than 12 inches. For some reason, that's just like the lid. And so imagine our excitement when almost immediately we started reeling in trout 16, 17 inches. It was amazing. We were so excited. And, and, and then we moved the boat to deeper water. Deeper water usually means what? Bigger fish. It was right by a dam. And I threw that silver spoon, cast it as far out as I could. And as I was reeling in, I felt like I hit a snack. And so I powered through it, and it felt like literally like a, a big grass clump that I was reeling in. And as they got closer to the boat, we all saw this like 22-inch monster trout. My heart started beating. I was like, I'm close. And as soon as it saw the boat and saw us, it dove. I didn't set the drag. The line broke. Heartbreaking. And it made it worse because our guide said when the trout are 22 inches and you take a picture and you do all the measurements and send it into the state of Colorado for their, their, their wildlife management, like they send you back a certificate and a patch recognizing you as a master angle, angler in the state of Colorado. It lit a fire, y'all. 
We only had like 15 minutes left to fish, and so we were fishing, and we were praying, and, and Mario, he, he didn't catch a fish all morning, so he was more determined than anybody. He was praying by faith, he was, and he caught a big one. His whole pole went down, we were like, oh, and as he got a little bit closer, the fish was 40 inches long. Huge, huge fish, but the guide said he'd never land it because it was a rare tiger muskie and the fish were, the, the teeth were so sharp it would surely break a line. Like that guide service didn't land a, a tiger muskie all season. And so Mario was determined. He was excited. We were all losing our mind. We started chanting, Master Angler Mario, Master Angler Mario. Mario reeled that thing in and we caught the fish. He envisioned holding up that trophy fish for the bear. He envisioned the certificate hanging on his office wall. He envisioned wearing his patch, right? Master Angler Mario, because the guy said 40 inches for Tiger Muskie. That's it. That's the Master Angler category. And so we all caught it on video. Would you like to see it? All right, let's watch together. Oh gosh, oh, I don't even know how to handle yeah. this one. <laughs> so this is the first tiger caught with big How do you touch it? Is that what? Oh, yeah, this caught. So oh, these guys had monster teeth. That's why oh, the fact like, you landed this yeah, is like, a trophy no itself. Oh, just cut Look it. Look at his teeth. So yeah! It looks awesome, bro. I don't even know how to touch that. You're going to have to do it with Brother, wait a minute. I am so sorry. Y'all feel Mario's pain? Just to watch that again is traumatic. Because you, those of you fish, you know, if you don't get the picture, it didn't happen. No certificate, no, no master angler Mario. But Mario did his job, didn't he? Didn't he do everything right? He got it to the boat, we got it to the net. But the guide, the guide y'all just like, That's all he had to do. That's all he had to do. But did you see how lackadaisical he was? Did you see how careless, just talking about it? Talking, he just like reaches in the water and he fumbles it. Why did that happen? Mario did his part. The guide failed to do his job. Why? Because he did not value the fish as much as Mario. Imagine our Father in heaven, in this moment, he gives us his son Jesus, sends him into the world to die on the cross as a substitution for our sins so that we can be forgiven and saved. He raises from the dead and he tells his followers to go out and to share the good news with every creature. Go out and make disciples. How must he feel when we do not lovingly obey our king's orders. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 in the New Testament. Jesus is about 30 years old and he's getting ready to start his ministry. And he's praying. The method of Jesus is men. 
And so he was going to choose 12 men to be his apostles. He had been praying. And so here's two guys as he's walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I've been a boat in that water. It's beautiful. It's about the size of Lake Medina. And Jesus sees a group of fishermen, some fathers, sons. And he calls out to them in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, if you're Peter and you see a guy walking up on the seashore while you're trying to fish, and he's got chacos on and this awesome beard, and he's about to ask you to make a career change, it, be, it better be a pretty compelling reason, right? And so in verse 19, Jesus says to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is casting a vision. They're casting a net, and Jesus casts a vision over their lives. He paints a picture, and he gives them an opportunity. He says, hey, you can keep fishing if you want. You can keep going after that trial, that, that trophy fish, or, or make a, a, a like money for your family and, and, and have fun as a hobby, but you can say yes to following me and I will make you a fisher's of men and we'll change the world. Instead of storing up treasure on earth, I'll give you an opportunity to spend more of your time storing up treasure in heaven so souls can be saved, people can be discipled. And so he invites them. And scripture says that immediately they lay down their nets and they follow Jesus. Unlike the rich young ruler, unlike perhaps Nicodemus, these men followed Jesus and their lives were never the same. There's three principles about fishing for fish that are true for fishing for people. First, fish have value. You're only going to go out fishing if you think it's worth it. Some people fish because they like the nutritional value of fish. How many of you enjoy eating fish? I know we're a little bit further inland, but you like getting your little fried fish at Sea Island. Like this. You like the, the fatty omega-3s, right? You know that's good for you. So you, that, that might be a reason why you fish. Another reason, you just might enjoy the sport of it. Like it's fun. It's a hobby. Others fish because they enjoy the community. They like fishing with other people. It's fun in the fellowship of doing it together. Every fisherman knows the possibility of being skunked, Right? And that's why we pray the prayer based on Scripture in Genesis. Every time I fish, I say, Lord, you said that we could have dominion over the fish of the sea. So I pray, prophesy, there'll be fish today caught. And we pray that prayer. And it's the same way. When we value a fish, we'll fish. If we value people, if we value souls, if we understand that every person is for whom Christ has died, then we should be fishing for people. But do you understand the value of the soul? Do you know the burden of the Lord for those who are spiritually lost? Jesus talks not just about fishermen, but he talks about sheep. And he's grateful that the 99 are in, but he'll go after that one. And then he talks about in John 10, like he talks about the, the sheep that are outside the flock that he desires to come. That's why he tells us to go to the byways and highways, compelling people to come in. Why? So his house can be filled. That's the heart of the Lord for the spiritually lost. Do we value them? 
We know scripture says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the what? The world that he gave his one and only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him shall not die but have everlasting life. They will not perish but have eternity for God in heaven. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How many of you are grateful that God was patient with you? That you once walked in darkness, but now you walk in light because of the salvation you received through Jesus. Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, God desires all men to be saved. Do we feel the weight? Do we value the soul? So first, fishing is, there's a value there. Second, fishing is strategic. If you're a fisherman, you know you go out early. It's kind of like hunting. The best fishing happens early in the morning and then later in the evening. You know that not all bait and lures will work for all fish. Different lures work to get specific fish, right? Like if you're bass fishing, you know, like there's a strategy. You look for structure. Bass gravitate towards structure. That's where they hang out. So it's the same thing with people. When we pray, when we understand that there's value and we trust the Holy Spirit, that there are different methods that God uses to reach different people. Some people get saved when there's a salvation altar call on a Sunday morning. Other time, they're not going to come here. So we got to go where the sinners are and we got to use different methods. We got to be sensitive to the Spirit, have a little boldness, realize we have some power to share the good news of Jesus. And, and so we share those lures, right? Sometimes it's an invite card when you give to a neighbor saying, Will you come with me as a friend? Did you know that over half the people who are New guests in our church, we call every single one of them. Over half say they were invited by someone. In fact, this past week, someone said, I was invited after someone had invited me multiple times, but they not only invited me, they, they mowed my lawn. Every time they mowed their lawn, they mowed my lawn. And I'm just like, I have to find out about this church, what kind of church. So they came. Right? So there's, that's a lure. Another lure is our love for each other. Right? Jesus said, by your love for each other, they're going to know you are my disciples. That's a way to, to bring people into the Lord. But, but the, the goal is to, to be a friend, to serve, to be compassionate. And, yeah, we're going to count conversions, but if we count the conversations before, we'll have more conversions before the Lord. If we're truly trying to help our friends become devoted followers of Jesus. Everybody who fishes loves a good tip. Like, where are they at? What's biting? What are they biting on? Can I give you a tip for soul winning? All right. Look, look for people who have something new, something missing, or something broken. Write that down. Look for people who have something new, something missing, or something broken. Maybe they're newly married. Maybe have a new baby. So they start thinking about when they were little and their parents brought them to church, it's time to get back in church, right? Or maybe it's a new job or a new community. They move here so they're lacking friends. Maybe they're missing fellowship, missing community, missing friendships. So if they're new, that's just that every time something's new, missing, or broken, like those should be lights on the dashboard with people. 
pain softens the heart. So when someone has a divorce, when someone has a sickness, someone loses a job, that's a good opportunity to pray for people, to encourage, minister, and invite them to church or invite them to Jesus. Last year was an important year for us. We came together. Our theme was home, sweet, what? Home. It's kind of the foundation. We're unified. We love each other. It's important for that to happen. But we've been in family mode. And now in this moment, I'm asking leaders, I'm asking you as a church family, let's turn the switch from family mode to army mode. We're going to charge the mountain. We're going to feel a sense of urgency for those who do not have a relationship with Jesus. We're going to feel a weight and a burden. We're going to lovingly obey the command of our king. In Mark 16, 15, he said to them, this is Jesus, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So first, fish have value. Second, fishing is strategic. Third, fish are hungry. Right? They're hungry. They want to eat. That's why we use bait or lures. People are hungry. Spiritually, there's a, there's a need that can only be met by Jesus. God, man's greatest need can only be answered through God's greatest solution, which is Jesus. But too often we think our friends don't want what we have. But they're hungry for the supernatural. They're hungry for fellowship and a sense of belonging. They're hungry to fulfill a purpose. They're hungry for supernatural peace and joy that you can't find in the world. And they're searching for things and they're trying to numb the pain. But when, you, when you've experienced salvation, you know, right? Like you've got a set of beliefs. And I'm going to ask you a few questions. And if you agree with the question, with the question I'm going to ask, the answer, I want you to just simply say, Oh, yeah. All right? Do you believe, according to Scripture, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? If you believe that, say, oh, yeah. Do you believe that that sin separates us from God? And apart from God, we eventually will have an eternity in hell. If you believe that, say, oh, yeah. Do you believe that there is only one way to salvation according to Scripture? No other name under heaven can we be saved but by Jesus. Only when we confess him as the son of the living God. That he really is the way, the truth, the life according to his own words. If you believe that only through Jesus can you be saved. Not of your works but by his grace through faith alone. When you confess him as Lord and Savior, confess and repent of your sins, you can be saved. If you believe that, say, oh, yeah. If you believe that when you die and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you can have the hope to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven forever. If you believe that, say, oh, yeah. It's a tragedy to not think or believe that other people have that same spiritual longing for life. Everyone's created in the image of God. Like if we can imagine every person there for whom Christ died, that their soul matters, like, like there is an emptiness inside of them that only Christ can fill. If we believe that, we'll want that and desire that for them. And there's no way we can reach them on our own. That's why Jesus gave the power. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
He says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was the promise. And for many, many years, the church has responded in passion to that promise, to that vision. But lately, we have not. There are more churches closing in America than opening. The closure rate is higher. There was a four-year stretch from 2015 to 2019 that we were zealous for the lost as a church. We prayed. We were witnessing. We were inviting. More people were getting saved. More people were getting baptized. We had more small groups than we do right now. You can blame the pandemic. You can blame other things. But why don't we witness? Why don't we feel this compelling love that causes us to share the good news of Jesus? Why? We must each take responsibility for that question and collectively as a whole as a church. Why do we not value the souls like we used to? For some, it's a little bit of suspicion, right? Like, we're skeptical. We've seen the rude street preacher. We think that's what, it, that's what witnessing looks like. Or we, we think of that sleazy, sleazy like used car salesman that's, that says a rehearsed speech and it just sounds formulaic and just the same words, but there's no heart. But if we will understand, if out of a heart of prayer and love, and when we share our testimony and we share clearly the good news of Jesus in a compassionate way, that method works. But it happens when God takes a willing vessel and he induces with power to give boldness, then there can be fruit. We can catch some people for the glory of God. For some people, they don't witness. Some of you feel like that you've, you've substituted something. Maybe you've substituted a passion for talking about Jesus for a passion of talking about politics or sports or a restaurant. Maybe you've substituted the privilege of soul winning for service or even attending church. Maybe you substituted the responsibility to the preacher on Sunday morning to give the Sunday salvation altar call, but because you don't have experience or you're afraid, then you don't do it. Some of you are witnessing because of shame or embarrassment. You don't think that you have what it takes or there's things in your life because you don't feel perfect, you feel unqualified. Paul, who was once a persecutor and murderer of Christians, God saved. He was filled with the power of the Spirit. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation for everyone that believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. He knew that there was a power a power that was the difference maker. Like think back of Peter. We'll go back to his story again. Do you remember at the hour that Jesus was being arrested, persecuted, put on the cross, that Peter denied even knowing Jesus to a little girl, to two, three people. But then Jesus shows himself alive. He goes back to that Sea of Galilee and Peter had gone back fishing and he pulls Peter to the side, prepares a breakfast on that perhaps the same spot that he called Peter to. And he says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? And he reconciles him, restores him back to ministry. 
And he tells Peter and the disciples, wait for the power. And so in their obedience, they go to an upper room, 120 strong. And they begin to pray and wait. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And there was a, a shaking. There was a power And then that was the day of Pentecost. So in Jerusalem, people had come and made their pilgrimage from all over. And there was crowds of people, Jews and Greeks from all different. And I imagine it was in that moment that he was so full of the Holy Spirit, he had an idea. What if I just open up my mouth and instead of denying Jesus, what if I share the good news of Jesus that he's alive? I imagine he got with his disciples and his his heart was beating, you know, like that moment. And he's like, I got this idea. I feel like we should share the good news. I can imagine doubting Thomas going, are you sure? Are you sure, Peter? Like you saw what happened to Jesus. If you do that, then we're all going to be put to death. Hey, Peter, we don't have enough people to take care if a lot of people get saved. We don't have enough small group leaders. It will be impossible. Peter's praying. I imagine him just pacing back and forth. James and John, the sons of thunder, were like, come on, Peter, you can do it. I believe in you. Let's go. Let's go. You're the one. Jesus said upon you, you're gonna, I'm going to build the church. Let it begin. Let's go. And then Peter stands up. People are thinking they're half drunk. And Peter boldly proclaims the good news of Jesus in a clear way. And they responded and they said, what do we do? We're convicted. And Peter says, repent of your sins and believe. And in that moment, on that day, 3,000 people surrender their lives to Jesus. And it was the beginning of a spiritual revolution. It was the beginning of a church that would go out and make disciples and take the gospel to Ethiopia and take the gospel to Greece and Rome no matter the cost, and people were persecuted, but it didn't stop them. It didn't stop them. It is time for our church and individually to move from personal embarrassment to passionate evangelism and personalized evangelism. When we started our church, we prayed for our community and people that we met here on the northwest side of San Antonio and in Helotus, we write, wrote their names on this butcher paper and put it on our living room wall. We got a burden for them. We're like, we're just going to focus on people, lost people. And I had one friend that led to a moment where when he passed away, I was given the opportunity to, to preach his funeral. And at that funeral, I shared his story and I invited everybody at that funeral to come to our grand opening service February 10th, 2008. 41 of them came. And of those 41 that came, 17 surrendered their life to Jesus that day. And that's how we started as a church, with a weight and a burden and a love for our community and the spiritually lost. And what can happen when you build a building? We can, what can happen when it just becomes home sweet home? There is a, a risk of being inward and we get comfortable again. But may we hear the heartbeat of the Lord that beats for those who have no hope, that are on their way on a wide road that leads to destruction. And so this year is my great privilege out of praying during this prayer of fast that God spoke clearly to us that the theme for our church this year is every soul matters. 
Every soul matters. Your soul matters. The souls of your children matters. And so imagine every soul in our community being represented by a light bulb. For those of you who have surrendered your life to Jesus, you have the light. But others who are in darkness. And so imagine every time someone gets saved this year, that we give them a light bulb and then they take it over to our new starting line, to our salvation wall, and plug in the light bulb. We're believing God for the greatest year of spiritual harvest than we've ever had before. We're believing God for over 1,000 souls. That's 1,018 slots for a light bulb. And we're praying and we're believing. Some of you think it's impossible, but can I share with you that already this year, 127 people have publicly surrendered their lives to Jesus this year. We had three people in first service publicly surrender their life to Jesus and plug their light bulb in to saying they have the light of Jesus. It's easy to think about the crowd, that others are going to do it, but let's make it personal. Would you take out the butcher paper that was handed to you when you came in? And let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal a name, a coworker, a family member, a sister, a neighbor. And when you have a face in your mind, a name that comes to your heart, just write it down. Jesus, speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. May we have a burden for the lost. May we be willing, because of your power and your love, to invite people to church, to invite people to you. May we be soul winners. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want you to have hope. Every number has a name. Every name has a soul. Every soul matters 